is everybody? I am in the hospital yet again, and we are waiting to get some results from the test on Monday. But the cancer is definitely back. It's definitely a little bit worse. So we're going to try to figure out um, where I'm going next. I know where I'm going next. I'm going home. <clears throat> so everything looks good right now. Um, you can pray for my daughter, Teresa. And I have a few words I want to say to you, and I'm going to read them because I have a hard time trying to um, read my own writing. Okay? So I wanted to say, dear church family, I want you all to know how much I love each and every one of you. I am getting at a worse place, so I wanted to take a minute and say, oh, wait a minute, I lost my place. And so I wanted to take a minute and say, I will miss all of you, all of you. I am having a little trouble putting words together now, but God is my hope, my strength, and my stay, and I trust him completely. God has provided me special family in all of you, and I love all of you as I prepare to prepare to go home to Christ. Asking for your prayers for my daughter, Teresa, to know Christ as we do would be what I would want for her. There is so much I wish I'd like to say, but I have a little trouble now with these words. I'm in a hospital for now, and I have to make some decisions on Monday. Please pray that I would be wise in those decisions. And people, oh, and see, I can't even read that word. And I can, oh, I would like to be able to go to church on Sunday, but I know that I can't. Um, and I pray for all of our church building. I pray for all of you. I pray for Jean Hiscock as she becomes our nursing home um, leader. She has become very, very good at the nursing home ministry. And if any of you can give her any help in that, um, she works really hard at it. And she needs a singer, because I was the singer and I can't sing anymore. Um, I thank God for the blessing for bringing so many of you to our church. I thank God for all of us and for Friendship Fellow Church and all they have done for us. So also may God bless them and their, their and the friends we have made there and the people that we love and share there. Love, love, love to all of you as God continues preparing me for the future. I am blessed beyond measure and I wanted you all to know I am blessed by all of you. Thank you, Mike, for helping me put this together and for looking forward to the future with me, with all of you. In love and prayers, Doreen. What do you think? That's good. I gave, I gave, I gave her a thumbs up on that. So there it is. Uh, and Doreen, by the way, right now is watching this live stream with Brett's uh, mother, right there in that hospital bed that you saw her talking on. That was recorded yesterday afternoon with Mike uh, Payne and myself were visiting her at this time. So uh, Brenda's going to come up and do a little FaceTime with uh, Chrissy, 
uh, Sopranant. Where is Brenda? Oh, come on up here. And so that we can all at least wave to her. We may never see her again on, in this, on this side of glory. The Lord knows, and more details will come out. We love your sisterness. So, so she's watching us right now and others as well. Um, so praise the Lord for our sister's faith in the Lord and that confidence that she has that she knows where she's going. When she dies, which is the wonderful blessing of the gospel, these things are written so that we might know that we have eternal life and believing on Christ gives us that peace and assurance that if we were to die, it would be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Paul says to be with Christ is far better. So in a way we mourn, but in another way we don't because we know that he says, the Bible says it is far better. So we've had an opportunity to rejoice with Mark and Suzanne today, and we also have some sadness about our sister's condition and uh, her days being numbered as they are. But the Lord is overall, and we trust him. But what's ahead for our sister Doreen? We love her and we praise God for what she has meant to this church and to this body and to many of you and uh, the ministry that she has been uh, a part of for about 20 plus years, 25 years or so with a nursing home ministry that's probably the most important thing in her heart in life is to live for the Lord and to she was even hopeful that she could go this coming Friday to go to the nursing home. Uh, and minister to the people there, and hopefully she's going to make another video with Jeannie on uh, what what we got. She wants to send the same thing or like that to the to the folks that come to the nursing home, where her and Jean do a wonderful job in spreading the gospel. One thing I forget about the picnic that uh, Sandy, can you say something about the food? What what we we need food for next Sunday. Yeah. Amen. Okay, and the last thing is, it is Father's Day today, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, happy, that's all from the women to the men. Happy Father's Day to us, praise God. We thank God more importantly of our heavenly Father, do we not? If it were not for him, none of us would be here. So we thank God for him being the Father of all spirits and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of those who have trusted him and have been adopted, therefore, into his family. So we're going to hear right now a testimony of somebody who was adopted into the family of God recently. Come on up here, Elorian, and share with us uh, what the Lord has done in your life. We want to hear you loud and clear. <laughs> well... All right. Good afternoon. <laughs> Psalm 9-1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, and I will recount all of his wonderful deeds. I'm not really one for public speaking, but I will recount all of his wonderful deeds in my life. Second Corinthians 5-17 reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. 
I take a huge amount of confidence in this verse because I'm not the old me anymore. I sin constantly, but greater than that, I am forgiven. I am a new creation. My sins before God found me are some of the things in my life that I regret the most. I have engaged in behavior before marriage. I've been in multiple relationships at the same time. I was a pagan priestess, which means that I led other people into the same sins I was committing. I've done some of the worst things. I've even had a termination. I regret that so much. I regret my sins and my sinfulness, and I regret the ways that I lived my life, thinking that there would be no repercussions. At the time, I was proud. I lived my life exactly how I thought I wanted. But finally, I learned that there would be serious repercussions if Jesus hadn't laid down his life for me. As Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have gone through many hard things in my life, and I can now see God in them. I started my Christian journey as a kid at a Methodist church, and I didn't like what I learned there, and most of all, I didn't really like the people there. They were the opposite of what a Christian should look like. They judged my clothes, they judged my family, and ultimately they could be pretty mean when they didn't like how you behaved. Um, Things were by the book, not by the Bible in any way. Looking back, I can see that they didn't preach or believe the gospel. They were very legalistic in their opinions of how things have to work. So I walked away. I began exploring witchcraft at 13 and continued in that for 17 years. I eventually became ordained and spread the lies that I learned. In that community, I had found the acceptance that I didn't find in Christianity at the time. I met nicer pagans than I had ever met Christians. While I now realize that the Christians I had met weren't living the gospel or the word of God, it still had a pretty big impact on me at the time. When I was 22, I married a man I thought was perfect for me, a real fairy tale. That marriage ultimately failed due to serious charges laid against my then, laid against my then husband. My entire marriage crumbled at my feet with absolutely no way I could fix it. I was lost, I was confused, and I was hurt. What seemed to me to be a perfect fairy tale ending turned into a nightmare. I tried to warn the people of the Jehovah's Witness church that he and his family went to, but they told me I had real, no real grounds for divorce. To me, this put up another wall between me and Christians. Later, I was in another relationship that also seemed to be a fairy tale. It became very abusive. I eventually had the courage to leave, but I had to move into a shelter. Moving into a shelter with my child wasn't something I wanted, but I needed to do it to keep him safe. That turned out to be the right decision because after only six months, we moved into our own place. I could be comfortable and be on my own. I still lived there two years later. Around the time I was leaving, I had a termination. I bought the lies that the pro-choice movement espoused and decided that I did not want to have a baby with the man that I was leaving. Later, I learned that polyamory which is when you are in multiple relationships at the same time. And at the time, it seemed to make sense to me. I could still have my freedom and some companionship without having to give up either. In therapy, I came to the conclusion that the feelings I was having around relationships were simply a defense mechanism from the trauma of my other relationships. I finally figured out that in the right relationship, you aren't giving up your freedom at all. While I was in that relationship and was with a very nice and good man... 
I realized this wasn't how I wanted things to be. I wanted someone to be committed to me and devoted to me and no one else. Because of my experience with all these things, I wanted to get a degree in human services so I could help other people experiencing the same things I did. So I could help other families through their own pain and suffering. I didn't end up receiving my degree in May, but what I did get was an internship that turned into a job and a field that I had always loved, working with adults with developmental delays as a job coach, a job that I really enjoy and leave every day feeling like I made a difference. My termination ultimately led me to try and help and volunteer with Your Options Medical so I can help people facing the same choice I did, but maybe I can share my experience and help them choose something else. I realize now that in all these things, God was working in the background for my good through all the highs and lows. As it says in Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you future and a hope. In January this year, I became, I began reading a Bible. I hid it from everybody. I read it with skepticism. My brother Justin, I think you've met him. He's a pretty all right guy if you haven't. And I regularly got together and we argued. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. I couldn't understand how a God described as just and loving could let bad things happen. I started reading the Bible to be able to arm myself with some of what it said for these conversations. I read it to prove God wrong and to find reasons he didn't exist. I wanted to get God, and God has a sense of humor, and instead of me getting him, God got me task failed successfully. <laughs> I was led to a passage that ultimately cemented my faith, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I, at that same moment, the moment I read it, it opened my eyes, and I quickly texted my brother Justin. He very quickly called me, and we talked about it. That night, I attended my very first Bible study over the phone. I, at that same moment, Oops. Things that made no sense before make perfect sense now. One thing in particular that never made sense to me was the thinking that God saves us from the rules he imposed on us and when he could have just not imposed the rules. I thought about it again and immediately had an answer. What good parent would have no rules for their children? God is our father and the rules are to keep us safe. The gospel came to me. I realized that everything I had ever done, all my debts to God, were forgiven because of Jesus dying on the cross. With me on his mind, I was set free from my sins. I've given up a lot to be here. I gave up old ways, old friends, and a relationship I was in. But I can tell you that it was entirely worth it. It was worth it because I realized none of it was really meant for me. As Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I had a greater purpose, and at first the idea of leaving my old life behind caused me pain. But again, I looked at 2 Corinthians 5.17 and remembered that I am a new creation, and I don't need any of it anymore. I don't miss any of it because I know God has a hand in my life. God loves me and protects me, and in order to have that happen, I needed to change my life and thinking. I built a support system here with Sovereign Grace. It was like I was an entirely new person. My friends have noticed. My brother has certainly noticed. I, ver I voraciously joined as many Bible studies as I could. 
and continued studying and reading the word. I couldn't get enough of it. After everything that has happened to me, being here and being part of this amazing group of people is exactly where I was being led. I was always supposed to be here in God's time. God reached out his hand again and again, and I finally took it. I read somewhere that that humans have a hard time trusting God when we know God has no reason to trust us. I simply could never understand how someone I would sin against over and over could ever forgive that. I have a hard time forgiving the people who have harmed me and hurt me. I've hurt and harmed God far more than anyone else has ever hurt me. But God sees all these things that I've ever done and forgives me for all of them. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did that for me. God so loved me that he sent his only son to be sacrificed in my stead. He loved me so much that he paid my debts with the blood of his son. A love like that is priceless, and I'm so happy I'm finally home to share in it. God knows me by name and all the times in this life that I felt like I had no value, that I was an outcast and that I was unwanted, that I was hurt and harmed. He knew me by name and what love is greater than that. He values me. He will not outcast me. He wants me and he will not hurt or harm me. I have faith in that more than I did yesterday and less than I will have tomorrow. Thank you for letting me tell you about what what God has done for me. Finally, I leave you with Luke fifteen twenty four. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know what I want to say to that? Hallelujah. What a savior. He breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. What a Savior we have. Jesus' first words when he first spoke his first sermon, he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And it goes on to say in the book of Isaiah, to give unto them beauty for ashes in the oil of joy for mourning in the garment of praise for the spirit of holiness. What a transformation has when the gospel reaches the heart of a sinner and the amazing transaction of conversion takes place by the miracle of the new birth. We praise you, God, for Elorian's conversion in every one of you that has experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ is because the miracle of the new birth by the Holy Spirit of God. So let's bow our heads and praise the Lord and let's worship Him in spirit and truth today as we hear our music in a moment. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank You for the Gospel. Truly it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, we thank You that we know that even the faith that we have, it comes from You Because your word tells us that by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
We thank you, Lord, that our boasting now is in the cross of Christ. And, Lord, we have now a spirit of joy. The heaviness is removed. We have now the the brightness, Lord, and the joy that we did not have in our unsaved days in a relationship with you that makes such a difference in the way we live, the way we act, in the hope that we have ahead for us. Thank you for our sister's conversion. Thank you for adding her to the numbers, to the body of Christ universally. You brought her into your family. We thank you for upcoming baptism next week, also in the baptism of five others, Lord, that will take place at our uh, worship service next Sunday. Lord, bless them in the coming week, and we ask, Lord, that all would go well on that Lord's day. Now, bless our worship and our song as we give you praise in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us. Check, check. creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. See 
with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings you are my everything and I will adore you Savior, I come, I cry in my soul, remember, redemption's hill, where your blood was spilled, for my ransom, and everything I Held dear, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Self, I belong to you. Only me. 
good friend often reminds me that the cross is the cure. Lord, thank you that we can give to the work of the gospel as you have sustained it these many years at Sovereign Grace Chapel and given us the grace to be light to the darkness that we find ourselves in cast out the darkness that is within us. Bless this giving this morning. Receive it as praise and sacrifice and be glorified in it. Bring more Allurians to the table of blessing. For anyone, Lord, that needs your special touch this morning, that only you know, I pray that you would pour that spirit out now upon that person and let them know that your great love is for them and they don't need to leave the way they came. Bless this offering now, Lord. Glorify yourself. And Lord, we want to pray also, Lord, for the building. um, And and I would direct you, church, to the back of your bulletin uh, if you think of it to pray this week as we pray on occasion from the pulpit for the building committee and the work that we have. Lord, your word to us is that unless you build the house, our general and subcontractors, even our own efforts are in vain. We tend towards impatience and want progress on that building now, and we want to be in that space making a joyful noise to you. Your children at Sovereign Grace Chapel want to be that heavenly fountain of overflowing waters of gospel blessing to the dry, barren spiritual landscape. We desire that passers-by and local residents point to the 23 Gulf Street and exclaim, that place really cares about the people in this town and are so kind and loving. We boldly approach your throne of grace as you extend your holy scepter to us with your kingly joy, and we ask you to hear and grant our petition for a seamless, expedited process of repair and preparation for our occupation of that space. We believe you have hallowed the ground upon which it stands. Fulfill your plan and make our joy complete as we watch and pray. Bless our dear brothers and sisters at Faith Baptist Church for the labor of love and generous hospitality. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. you to turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 1 verses 4 through 9. 
And if you are able, can I ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word? All right. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for, for today and the ability to be here with all my brothers and sisters. And again, I thank you for what you've done in Lorian's heart and so many of our hearts here today, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the under-shepherds that you've set before us, Lord, Pastor Gary, Pastor Todd, um, and Pastor Pat, Lord. I thank you for the wives that you've put in their lives and how much they help them, Lord, and help them to shepherd us as well. Lord, I pray that you increase in them the attributes that we just read about, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you most of all for the over-shepherd whom you sent to die for us, his sheep, Lord. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, the comforter you've sent to live within us. Lord, I pray for Justin. I pray that you anoint him, Lord, in his words. Anoint our ears and our eyes and our hearts, Lord, so that we might hear and see and know you, God. Lord, I pray that we be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And lastly, Lord, I, I pray that you bless Justin's path as he also seeks to become an elder one day. This I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hopefully the uh, tag team combination of me and my sister will make the rest of you start praying for other members of my family to come to Christ. (laughs) Perhaps that's a bit selfish of me. Two for two, God has done an amazing work of taking people who have nothing worthwhile to offer and creating people after his own son's image. And we praise him for that work in all of our lives. Perhaps I'll get in trouble for starting with these questions, but what are you doing here? Don't you have something you'd rather be doing? I mean, you could be working. We can always find a use for more money. And some of you could really use a few hours of overtime to pad that paycheck. Or maybe it would be nice to be at home right now getting a head start on your tasks of the week so you might not be so crammed and stressed for time. Man, what would just a few hours, extra hours every week, make for a difference in your life? 
a couple hours to sleep in or maybe not having to get the kids ready on a Sunday morning and, and deal with the stresses of, of pulling them all around. I could keep going. There are many different ways we could spend our limited time because we do have limited time. Do you think about that? Do you realize that you have only a set number of hours left and that is constantly going down? We just spent one and we're about to spend another. You're spending at least two hours on church every week and I know that many of you spend more than that. At least you should. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him. Luke 14. Have you counted the cost of being here? Will one day the math no longer work out and you decide that your time is better spent somewhere else? I'm glad that none of you, after these questions, decided to leave. (laughs) I wouldn't have wanted to explain to the elders why I came up with this idea afterwards. But I say this because if you are not here because heaven and Christ are a priority in your life and the fate of your eternal soul matters to you, this sermon will not make any sense. The things that we are going to talk about here only make sense to those who are looking forward and looking beyond the things of this life to the things of the next. Peter says, where else shall we go, Lord? For you have the words of eternal life. This sermon is for you if, even in just some faltering, flawed way like myself, you can say with Paul, as he writes in Philippians 3, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If that represents the prayer of your heart and the reason why it is worthwhile for you to be here today, please pray with me. Lord, as we prepare to study your word, we ask that by it you would mold our eternal souls, preparing us to one day see you face to face, to enter into your holy kingdom. We ask that you would, through your spirit, guide us in understanding your word, that it would shepherd us, that it would be a light to our path and a lamp for our feet, so that we, being equipped for for every good work, would serve all the more vigorously from a heart of love and gratitude, appreciating your abundant gifts and your guidance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
If you haven't already turned there, would you please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. You'll find it in the last quarter of your Bible. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. If you reach Timothy, you've gone too far. Turn back. And please help anyone near you who is having trouble finding it. Verses 12 and 13 of 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Amen. This passage is simple and straightforward. We do not need to spend a lot of time belaboring little points of theological details to rightly understand what this is saying. Simply said, we are called to love and value the shepherds that Christ has given to the church because they toil for our souls. Once again, lock that in your head. This is the the main idea We are called to love and value the shepherds that Christ gives us because they toil for our souls. We will be breaking this passage down into three main parts. For you, those of you who take notes, be ready. Part one, the value of our souls. Part two, their toil on our behalf. And part three, our gratitude and blessedness. At the end of these verses, it does add, be at peace among yourselves. But as far as I'm aware, that seems to be a separate thought. And so we're going to focus on this main idea today. Part one, the value of our souls. And no, I'm not talking about how much your shoes cost. Part one, the value of our souls. Souls here is a word that refers to that thing within us, which is eternal. The thing within us that will carry on after our bodies begin to rot. And while our souls are not directly addressed here in this passage, we cannot make sense of the words that are written here with or feel their impact properly if we do not recall the weightiness of eternal matters for each and every person here. Each and every last one of you has been given a soul crafted by God and prepared for eternity. Point number one, the reality of our souls. You need to know here today that there is something in you that is beyond flesh and blood. Even if you are not a Christian, there is something in your mind that tells you that you are more than a bunch of neurons firing electrical signals up in the gray. Do not for a second believe the lie that when you die, it is simply nothing. That it's just lights out and over and it is no more afterwards. 
and know that there is far more to our life than just the things we can touch and see. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity into man's heart. And Hebrews adds in chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You will spend eternity somewhere, either in torment for your sins or in heaven as sons of God. Your soul is very real. Point number two, the foolishness of material priority. I warn you that you will be tempted by your flesh, by what is earthly within you, to think that what you can touch and feel are the things of greatest significance. That the things that you interact with most easily... The best things that, the best that tangible things can do for us is point us to the intangible, to the goodness and greatness of God. And if all Point number three, the incomparable nature of heavenly realities. Christ completes that statement I just read by saying, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is nothing that compares with the glory of eternal realities. It never passes away, and this life which is fleeting yields to an eternity which lasts forever. And the treasures of heaven are so much greater than anything that you may gain in this life. They are the joys of being with our Father the pleasures of fellowship with our Creator and Savior, the glory of beholding God in His fullness and the blessings of drawing near to Him. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And at another point he writes, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. The promises of heaven are incomparable with everything that this life has to offer. Your souls are real, this world is vain, and heaven is far greater. So when we consider that we are called to love and value the shepherds that Christ has given us because of their work for our souls, our eternal souls, we should remember just how great and weighty the soul and its eternity is. Part number two, their toil among us. Just to be clear, when I say pastor, shepherd, elder, and overseer, I mean the same thing. I'm referring to the same office using various forms of biblical language. This is an office that, that has been given to the church in the scripture to watch over us, to guide us as instructors and examples. So now let's reread the passage, and as we do, watch to see the three descriptions that are given of the work of a pastor to describe this toil that they do among us. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love Because of their work. He describes them as, and these will be our three points for this section of the sermon. Number one, those who labor among you. Number two, those who are over you in the Lord. And number three, those who admonish you. Consider for a minute how he describes them. He does not slap the title of elder on them. He does not simply say, respect your elders. But he describes them by the character of their conduct and the type of work that they engage in. Pastor, elder, these are not titles that we can simply slap wherever we want and parade around demanding respect. But rather, we are to know elders by their work. It does not matter what title you have. If you cannot be seen doing the work of an elder, you do not deserve the respect of one. He describes them as those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Point one, those who labor among you or those who toil in our midst. The work of a pastor is hard work. Can I get an amen? Amen. The work of a pastor is hard work. And the passage fittingly calls it labor. This is not the general word for work, but it refers to toil, to hard struggling to accomplish a task. This is a use of the word labor, like when a woman is given, giving birth, which none of you should describe as a light matter. Paul writes like this 
my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed within you. Talking about the the work of caring and shepherding souls. The pain and the travail that goes into forming Christ within us. This is not the work of a man who sits at a desk filing papers. And while that is good work, this instead is the toil of a farmer. A man who must, by the strength of his back, break the ground who then must with care plant and tend over time. He has to make himself a husband to his task, and he rises up early and goes to sleep late, and labors in faith for months with no reward, and with no ability to guarantee the results of his harvest. Elders often have late nights and heavy hearts for the sake of the flock. Just consider, for example, the work that Gary faithfully does on our behalf week in and week out, preparing the word to nurture us. They do this as shepherds for our souls, trying to draw us nearer to Christ that we might make it even to the final day, to see him. Understand that elders work hard in your midst for the sake of your souls. Point number two, those who are over you in the Lord. This describes elders and pastors as ones who lead, who manage, who guide. They are to, and by the wisdom that God has given them, bring us to fertile pastures to keep us from folly and to drive us together into one body that we might labor and enjoy fellowship. They wield God-given authority, and it is for our blessing. In our modern times, this discussion of authority warrants some attention because many of us will find ourselves given in our heart to distrust authority. We may be tempted to believe that all authority is bad and impressive, as is often preached out in the world today. And many of us have truly seen horrible abuses of authority which God would heartily decry. And yet we must not buy into the lies that all authority is evil and oppressive. God created it for our good. And when it is done well, it is an amazing blessing. The answer to bad authority is not no authority, but good authority. Consider with fathers, the answer to to bad fathers is not no fathers. We've seen how that plays out in our culture. But good fathers who love and care for their family, wielding benevolent authority to bless those who they have the charge over. Listen to what David has to say about the goodness of authority. 
These are his last words that are recorded in Scripture for us. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. 2 Samuel 23. A good pastor is like nothing else. His shepherding secures good and blessing for his people and defends them from harm. And we, knowing the character of our hearts, and if we are honest with ourselves, knowing our tendency to wander when left to our own devices, should rejoice to know that God has given us elders to guide us. What a great sign of his blessing that he has not left us without the goodness of authority, but has graciously given it to us. But notice, too, that these are not simply over us, but they are over us in the Lord, that we share a mutual status. These are not haughty rulers casting down judgments from high above, but are fellow heirs of Christ and recipients of his grace. We are in the Lord together as members of the same body. The head is not a a different class from the body, separate from it. If you cut the head off, it doesn't really work that well at all. But rather it is a member of the same body, seeking the good of the whole by its direction and guidance. And these shepherds are not self-made shepherds who have instituted their rule over others, but they have been given by Christ. They are not over us in their own power. As Ephesians 4 teaches us, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and listen to all of the goodness that is secured for us by this authority. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are able to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us value this gift of godliest oversight and godly authority. Point number three, those who admonish you or those who keep you from error. It is so important that we get this right because we are being told to love and respect those who admonish us. I'm sorry, but I'd rather not. (laughs) 
Now, most of us wouldn't say that out loud to a pastor who comes to correct us. But I know my heart, and it is so quick to jump to my own defense, to vindicate myself. Even when a pastor comes with a kind heart for the sake of my soul, I am quick to justify myself instead of respecting and appreciating. We need this admonishment. I pray that the Spirit would humble us enough to see our need. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. Oh, would the Lord keep our feet from stumbling? And he does this in one way through the means of pastors that he has sent to admonish us, to correct us, and to keep us from error. We need the spiritual maturity to say to ourselves that even though my flesh rebels at the idea of correction, my heart will rejoice to be shepherded towards eternity and to be saved from shipwrecking my faith. Most pastors dread to have to admonish us. So let us make it easy for them to love us. And let us love our pastors for their discipline, for by it they keep our souls. We are called to love and value the shepherds that Christ gives us, because they toil for our souls. And this is their toil for our souls, that they labor in our midst, that they guide us toward good and away from danger, and that they keep us from error, that our souls might be saved. And if you think that language is too strong, consider what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. These are shepherds for our souls, that we might make it to the final day, not stumbling so as to fall away. Part three, our response. Give them lots of money. I mean, lots of money, like great big heaping mounds of it. This message is sponsored by the Coalition of Elders for Higher Pay. (laughs) I'm just kidding, of course. We should pay our pastors, but we are going to pull our application out of the text first. Point one, respect them. Respect them. This is simple. Respect the elders that Christ has given us. So every time you see them, bow down at their feet. Okay, no, kidding again. But respect means that when you see them, you must weigh them as significant. That you have a sense of their weightiness and capability to impact your life to be of a prophet to you and to others. This respect here is the opposite 
of a dismissiveness. It means that you have a regard for them in their capacities. When an elder weighs in on something, stop and listen. Christ has given him to you for a reason. Assume always that they have wisdom worth hearing. This also means that sometimes when you are wrestling with a big decision, you go to them. They are given charge over your souls to guard you. So don't just shoot them a text telling them that you're moving to another state so you're changing churches. You know, that the, the job opportunity is, is there so you're leaving. As if they're at the post office and they need to now redirect your mail. What, sh- what would it look like if we humbly sought their advice respecting their wisdom? Brothers, I'm considering this new job. The money is good and it would be a help to my family. But there may be some added difficulties for me spiritually. I'm not going to be able to make that Bible study that I normally go to. As the one who who has charge over my soul, what do you think? What would you suggest? How should I go about this? Or how about instead of saying that the Lord is leading me to do this or to do that, which ascribes divine authority to our own personal feelings, let's go to a divinely appointed authority and see what they might have to say on a matter. Furthermore, this means do not neglect opportunities to sit under their teaching. A respect for our elders will lead us to have a sense of their value and to prioritize hearing them teach the word of God for the sake of our souls. And finally, this means respect. Out of respect, you must always think of them charitably. Always assume that there is a good reason or a good intent behind their action. This does not mean we cannot ask questions or seek to understand, for working through doubts strengthens our faith. But we should have a general disposition of charity towards those that God has called us to respect because he has appointed them for our good. Coach your heart to not be cynical or skeptical towards them, but in humility seek to understand their ways, expecting that by doing so, you will grow in your faith. This respect that we are called to give multiplies the work of the elders on our behalf. And is it is the hallmark of, of a soul, of a humble spirit that knows the weight of matters of the soul and appreciates the labor that God has given the elders to do. We are called to love and value. This respect is part of both of those things. The shepherds that Christ gives us because they toil for our souls. Point two. Esteem them very highly. 
This is emphatic language. He does not esteem them of some regard or be cautious not to to disregard them or even esteem them highly but but emphatically esteem them very highly as if it would be difficult for you to hold the elders with too much esteem for their work. This is the language of an appraisal, of someone who comes up to a thing and decides what it is worth. This means to count the elders as of great value to you and to others. This is not monetary value. If you think the best thing a pastor can do for you is secure secure you financial, financial blessing, you are listening to the wrong preachers and the wrong things. But more specifically, this is spiritual value. We are to esteem elders as of being great spiritual value to us. You should feel spiritually rich for Christ to have sent shepherds for you. You should look at it as a weight of wealth to have caretakers for your soul. Each time an elder gets appointed, you should feel like you have just gotten the spiritual equivalent of a raise. He is a blessed man who has many caretakers for his soul. Thank God for his gifts and rejoice in them. This also means that as a church, we should always be on the lookout for budget space for more full-time pastors. What a great investment that would be. You tell me what a good investment is for your money, and I'll tell you what you esteem very highly. We are called to love and to value and this is, this is what esteeming very highly means to value greatly the shepherds that Christ gives us because they toil for our souls. Point number three, in love. We are to esteem them very highly in love. We are to respect and to value them in love. Love. This is no formalistic military respect of rank, nor is it the distant esteem that we might feel for any number of people, great artists or scholars, different people who we might not have a personal affection for, yet if they were to come into our midst, we would feel, I'm talking to someone of importance, of esteem. This is not that distant sort of esteem or that formal sort of respect. This is the love and value, the respect and esteem that one feels for a good father or a big brother or a kind mentor. Let us be glad to see our elders. Let it light up our faces when we see this grace of God beaming down on us. That God would care for us so much as to appoint elders for our sake. 
Let us say brotherness. Thank you. It's good to see you. Thank you. We are called to love, to love and value the shepherds that Christ gives us because they toil for our souls. Point number four, because of their work, this is all ingratitude. Or done from gratitude. Let us be grateful. For they work on our behalf. They have been appointed to care for our souls. And let us make it easy for them. And a joy for them. Knowing that they will have to answer to Christ. For their charge over us. Hebrews 13.17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Consider just how profitable it is to you to make the shepherd's work a joy that they might run with endurance and joyfully spend themselves on your behalf. They have a solemn charge. As Acts 20.28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the overseers has made you, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, by his own, which he has obtained with his own blood. We are called to love and to value the shepherds that Christ gives us because they toil for our souls. I have two closing thoughts, and then we will pray and finish. One thought is on the worst shepherd, and the other thought is on the best shepherd. I want you to consider the worst shepherd because for some of you, he is your shepherd. You have not trusted in Christ and Satan is your shepherd. And I also want you to consider this because if you are a believer, this was once your shepherd and Jesus died to ransom you from him. If you have not trusted in Christ, this being rules your soul. His desire is for your destruction. He seeks only your evil. This is, this is the shepherd of your soul if you have not believed in Christ. He seeks only your evil and your death so that by any means he might destroy the image of God to attempt to discredit him. He is contemptible and vile. Do not trust him. It should be said of him that if Satan is your shepherd, you shall always want. He will make you drown in in polluted bogs. He will drown you in storms of pain and his evil will destroy your soul. 
If Satan is your shepherd, surely evil and torment will follow you all of your days, and you will dwell in damnation forever. This is the worst shepherd. And yet there is still hope. Because the greatest shepherd is here. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. He is calling to you. Hear his voice. Come while you may. Believers, we rejoice being saved from so vile a shepherd by the price of our Lord's very own life. To go from the, the, the clutches of the devil to the joyful arms of our Savior pierced for our very own sins. Let us rejoice for so great a shepherd. Let us love and value, respect and esteem very highly the truest shepherd of our soul who in love, because of, because of his great love, has done such a great work, has toiled even unto death for our souls. Let us love and esteem him to the highest, to value him beyond everything else in this life. And then, Obeying him, let us love and value the under-shepherds that he has given because of the toil for our souls that they do. Matthew 9.36 When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let us close in prayer as we also take this opportunity to pray for the pastoral search committee and for a shepherd like our greatest shepherd. Lord, we thank you for your grace, which is manifold to us. We thank you for your salvation, and we ask that those who are not currently in your flock would be called into it, that they would hear your voice, that you would send your spirit, that they might repent even this minute, crying out, Oh, good shepherd, I want you to save me. And Lord, we pray for our church.
as we seek a new shepherd to head up the preaching of the word for the sake of our flock, that you would be pleased to give us a brother who would labor in our midst, who would be over us, not in a domineering way, but as a servant in the Lord, and who would carefully keep us from error, admonishing us as a father. And would you, Lord, shape us as a congregation to be ready to respect and esteem so great a gift? Might you send a brother who would labor deeply for our souls? In the name of the greatest shepherd, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us for the last song.
We just thank you that you've called your your men to be these under shepherds, Lord, and to be pastors, elders, Lord, to to be those who were to live as an example to the flock, that they were not to be greedy, that they were to be examples. And Lord, we just thank you for though there's many imperfections, Lord, in in your in leadership at times and in your people, Lord, as you know that you bless us with your grace and you continue to uphold them. And continue, Lord, to give them wisdom, Lord. Help us to be conformed to the image of your Son. Help the under-shepherds, Lord, the pastors here today to help your people walk with you, to, to learn to know you, as Paul said, to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to be conformed to his image more and more each day. And Lord, just thank you for the word today that was very uh, compelling and scriptural, of course, and that your word is, is, is alive and living, cuts to the soul, to the marrow of our hearts and spirit. And, Lord, just help us to take it with us this day. And, again, bless your, your shepherds, Lord, that you placed here. And we also, Lord, just pray for our brother at Faith uh, Baptist before us as he serves and his elders as well. And, God, just again, we thank you for all that you've done for your church, uh, that you sent your son as the head and we as the body. We thank you for it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Have a blessed day, everybody. God bless you. Cornerstone, we